Uh, Our Advent reading today comes from Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading uh, the, the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. Find in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those, hum- those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. What exactly did Mary know? A lot of us probably hear that question asked a lot in song lately. Mary, did you know? Uh, Maybe you've thought about that question. And the Bible might not uh, tell us everything, right? It doesn't share everything about what exactly Mary did know about the baby that was to be born to her. But we know some of what she knew. In part, we know it uh, because she sings about it, right? She responds to this work of God in song. And so we see some of of what she did know. Now throughout uh, Luke's gospel, you'll find these songs, um, songs that that show up. There's all kinds of singing. It's one of the reasons why around Christmas time we have extra events of caroling, of singing, because that's what happened around the nativity. Mary sings... Zechariah sings, the angels sing, Simeon sings. I assume that Anna the prophetess, when she gives a blessing, that she sang it just because of all the other songs that we see here in Luke. So the birth narrative of Christ is full of song. It's full of singing. Why is that? Why in a particular way is there all kinds of of music breaking forth at this time. Well, singing is always a responsive act to the Lord. It's a responsive act to something that God is doing. Where else in the Old Testament, leading up to this point in the history of redemption, do you see song break forth? We see it in creation. Uh, we, we see it as God sings all things into, uh, into existence, and then the response is song. Uh, if, you don't have to turn here with me, but uh, if we read from the book of Job, chapter 38, if I can find it here, uh, it says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? So he's talking about creation. 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Right? God says there's this, at creation, there was this, this song, right? Singing broke forth. We also see it when God works great works of redemption, right? When God saved his people out of Egypt, what happens? What do they do in response? They sing, right? Sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has cast into the sea. So singing is, is a response to God's work of creation, to God's work of redemption. It's also the response of somebody in God's presence, when you come into the presence of God, what you find is singing. The angels that are always in his presence, around his throne, are always singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So why then is the nativity story filled with song? Starting here with Mary's song. Well, it's because God is present and because God is working a new work of, of new creation and new redemption. All of it is coming together. God now appears in the flesh, and Christ begins this work of new creation and redemption that he was meant to fulfill. Mary knows this, right, or at least some of this. Maybe she didn't know all the details of what was to happen, uh, but she knew. She magnifies the Lord because of this great work. She rejoices it says, in God her Savior. She speaks of God as the one whose name is holy. If you remember, just before this, the angel Gabriel told her that the child she was going to bear, his name would be holy. So when she speaks of the holy God, she, she knows this is the child that I'm bearing. She's praising the child in her womb as the everlasting God. And this is a great work of God to humble the proud of the earth, to raise up the humble. There's a kind of great reversal that you see in this song, as those things which are seen as important from an earthly perspective, like power or riches or political might, these are not what God chooses to reveal himself through. Rather, he comes in the most humble form. God, in his mercy has come to help Israel as the fulfillment of his covenant promise to Abraham. That's what Mary knew. She may not have known everything that was going to happen, but she knew that much, and so she gave thanks to the Lord. Our New Testament scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading once again, verse 9 to 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. We arrive today at the final petition of the Lord's Prayer, the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from evil. And in the prayer for daily bread, you pray for those things which you most need to simply survive. In the prayer for forgiveness, you ask for what's most needed for you to be reconciled to God. And in this final petition, this final part of the prayer, it's a prayer for deliverance. Christ calls on you to pray for protection and help. The truth is that even when you have been reconciled to God, in fact, maybe even especially once you have been reconciled to him, you become aware of a great battle that's being waged for your soul. Sometimes this uh, text is translated not just delivers from evil, but uh, delivers from the evil one. Uh, maybe your uh, translation has it that way. And it is that way in, in, in some of the, the manuscripts. Either way, it, it's really saying the same thing. Right? Satan and those fallen angels who joined in his rebellion are at war with the people of God at war with your soul. Satan is the, the archetypal rebel and deceiver, the evil one, right? A, a personification of rebellion, a personification of evil. Uh, but he's not alone. He is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And so the whole world also, as it is in rebellion to God, as it stands against him, likewise is a part of this battle. More than this, there's still part of you. Right? The flesh is, is the way it's spoken of in Scripture. The sinful nature. There's part of you that is at war against God and the things of God within you. So this is a world with devils filled, as we sometimes sing, filled with spiritual dangers, Temptations to sin lie all around you. But you can be encouraged today. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. And Jesus teaches you to pray for deliverance in order that you might lift your eyes up to the hills from where your help comes. And behold, he comes riding on a cloud. He is the Lord of glory, your deliverer our Savior. Jesus calls you to pray for and to plead for the protection of God uh, so that you might truly find deliverance in Him. This prayer uh, really has two parts to it. Right? It's a prayer of protection both from uh, temptation and from evil more generally. It starts, lead us not into temptation. And now you need to be uh, somewhat careful here. This is holy ground, and it's important that we take great care. This is not saying that God is the one who tempts us. God does not sin, and he does not tempt anyone to sin. Right? Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's from James chapter 1. 
This is not saying that God tempts us. But it does acknowledge that God is sovereign even over times of temptation. He is ultimately in control of and is predestined all things that come to pass. And I say that uh, this is holy ground because God has not revealed to us all of the reasons that he still allows us to be tempted. Or why he puts us into positions where temptation is possible. He hasn't told us all of the reasons. He hasn't told us exactly how he does this and yet uh, can do so without sin. But we know that he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass and can do so without sin. We know that, and so we have to move forward with humility, trusting in the things that God has revealed. There are clearly times that God puts us in positions to be tempted, to be tested, And there are different reasons for this. Many we don't know, but some we do. Some scripture does reveal. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son to reveal his faith. He brought Israel into the wilderness to test them and to test their loyalty to him. He allows temptation sometimes to to prove our faith. Not for him, but for us. Or to encourage us. He at times allows us to face temptation as a judgment or discipline to humble us in our pride. He does this sometimes simply as a warning to others, making us the means by which he protects others. We're told that after his baptism, Jesus was was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit in order that he would be tempted by the devil. So he was put into that situation. Why? Well, he had to fulfill all righteousness. He had to be the Adam and the Israel that Adam and Israel weren't. Right? He had to uh, face the temptation of the devil like Adam did and yet prevail. He had to face the, the trials of the wilderness wandering like Israel did and yet prevail. He did this also as an example, an example to help you when you are tempted, to teach you how to avoid temptation. Now, knowing that God is is sovereign, uh, even over the, the times of your life when you fall into temptation, you're to pray that he would lead you not into temptation, that he would deliver you out of temptation, that he would protect you from it. That you would not be tempted and that when you are, you would be kept from falling into sin. Temptation comes in in two primary forms. It comes internally and externally. And usually these two operate together. It comes internal to us. Because you have a twisted and, and broken nature. So there are parts of who you are as you were born, that are antagonistic to Christ and his kingdom. There are times that you just desire to sin, right? that you want to do something that you know is not right. You at times simply want to do what is contrary to the revealed will of God. 
And at the same, same time, there's also the temptation that comes from without, externally, that which is outside of us. This is the temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden, right? They didn't have a, a, a bent nature yet. They weren't, they weren't uh, you know, in, in some way experiencing just a internal desires that were twisted and, and broken. Uh, it, it was something that came externally to them. This is what Jesus faced in the wilderness when the devil came to tempt him. Right? This is when anything or anyone outside of you entices you to sin. Right? It's to be tempted from the, from the outside. Now, like I said, usually these work together. Right? They're, they're usually not found totally separate. Uh, in the case of Christ, uh, we know that he was tempted uh, externally, not internally. Right? He did not have a corrupt nature as we do. Um, but for us, they come together. We live in a sinful world, surrounded by temptations, but also have internal and corrupt desires. What that means is that you probably don't yet realize how much you really need the help of God. It's easy to, in pride, start to think that we're doing okay. Right? Things aren't as bad as they could be. But no, you're in great need of deliverance. It really is that bad. You are in trouble if you're left on your own. But you aren't left on your own. Right? That's part of the purpose of this prayer, is to encourage you, right? to call out for deliverance, to pray for protection from temptation. It's a prayer that the allure of sin would not draw us in, that we would not be persuaded by the sinful longings of our rebellious hearts, and that the lies of the devil would not be convincing to us. You think more highly of yourself than you should. You think more highly of your ability to keep away from temptation than you should. But you also probably think too little of the power of God that is extended to you in this prayer. He truly is willing and able to help you when you pray to him. Now, this is not a prayer um, that you would never be tempted ever, uh, right? Because that would just require that you be taken right up out of the world. Right? That's not what God wants at this time, because you're here. Uh, the, the very fact that you're here means that that is not his desire for you. Rather, it's a prayer that you would not fall into temptation, that you cannot overcome. And that you would grow in wisdom, so as not to walk into situations where you'll face temptation beyond your ability to withstand. Because the temptation comes externally and internally, you should be praying that God would both change you internally, right? that he would change your heart, that he would change your desires, that he would fill you with a love for the things that he loves, and at the same time that he would keep you from those situations, those circumstances, those places or people that are sure to lead you into sin. When we pray 
to not be led into temptation, we also need to be praying this truly, right? You need to pray it from the heart. Uh, you can't just pray this with your lips out of a, a hypocritical spirit. It's not enough to pray this and then be passive in your life. This prayer comes with a commitment to seek the things of God. Right, you can't pray, God, deliver me out of sexual temptation while you're walking into a strip club or climbing into bed with your boyfriend. The addict can't simply pray for protection while taking another hit. You can't put yourself into a compromising position and then presume upon the grace of God to swoop in and get you out. Right, and you know when you do this, right? You just you keep crossing a line over and over again. And it's only when the consequences begin to affect you that you begin to call out for help. Now, I'm not saying that uh, God won't help you if you do that. Uh, he, he might. God is far more gracious than we realize. Right? He, he just may save you from temptation at the last moment. That's his prerogative. Um, I, I don't mean you can't as in you shouldn't ever pray this if you feel caught in sin. I just mean that when you're praying hypocritically, you shouldn't expect God to hear that prayer. Right? You shouldn't expect God to listen. He still might. He still does a lot, right? Because he's that gracious. He loves you that much. But we want to uh, align ourselves with him. When we pray this, again, there's a, a sense of commitment that we not only are, are praying that he would simply help us, that we will seek his help. All right, and, and this is just what we're like. We, we are corrupt, but he loves you. Right? He will protect you from temptation if you ask him. He will keep you from temptation. In large part, doing so through prayers like this. As you pray for his help, he will use that to protect you. So this is a prayer uh, that we'd not be led into temptation for protection from temptation, but also from evil more generally. Right? That second part of the prayer. But deliver us from evil. If your translation says the evil one, again, it really means the same thing. It's it's not uh, a greatly different. Satan, the evil one, simply becomes kind of archetypal of all things that are contrary to the will of God. Either way, uh, it, it really means the same thing. There's true evil in the world, right? There is true evil, and uh, it's found both in Satan, right, in, in the devil, but also in the world itself, as it is in rebellion to Christ, and it's found in you. And this is a prayer of protection from all of it, that you would be delivered from all of it, a prayer to be delivered from all the evil that surrounds you, all the enemies of God. So pray that you might be delivered from Satan. Yes, the devil is real. That might come as a shock in a kind of modern technological age to believe in some kind of devil, right? Some 
some kind of personified evil. And yet he is very, very real. <clears throat> For many in uh, you know, an increasingly post-Christian world, the presence of the devil is more and more obvious. If you ever speak to uh, somebody who is uh, deep in addiction, or at least has been, um, especially when it comes to um, some of the harder drugs, one of the most common things that you're going to hear from them is that uh, even though it may at first have uh, given them some sense of euphoria, very quickly they become very aware that they are trapped, that they are in essence in hell, and that there truly is a devil with power over them. You'll hear it over and over again. You hear it uh, from, from victims of human trafficking. You see it in modern child sacrifice, right? Truly evil things. The devil and demonic powers are very real. But you are not alone in your fight against them. Christ offers protection and deliverance for any that call upon his name. Now more often, uh, although there are great, in a sense obvious, demonic evils, it's more often that the devil works in subtle ways. He appears as an angel of light. It's not as obvious. It may become obvious with time. You know, you think about uh, the way that uh, the attack of the devil against Christ, when Christ comes into the world, it, it may look like him tempting him, speaking to him, right? Uh, talking to him in the wilderness, offering him certain things if he will simply uh, bow down and, and worship. But then with time, over time, uh, the, the evil of what he's doing maybe becomes more clear. Right? It ends with Christ on the cross. So it starts maybe a little bit more subtly. But most of the time that you encounter the demonic, it's going to be in those subtle ways, right? Through subtle lies, through little things, right? It's, it's Satan saying, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it, it's Satan saying, did God truly say, right? Just, just, just questioning. It's just that little subtle lie, that little push to get you away from the truth. Lies about God, lies about who you are, lies about sin, right? Trying to convince you that what God has said is not really so. He is cunning like a serpent, but he's also ravenous and destructive as a lion. But one of the encouragements to you in a prayer like this is that he does not have the power of God. And if you are in Christ, you do. the very power of God is offered to be of help to you through prayer. And Jesus teaches how you might resist his advances. Through your knowledge of the word, by constant prayer and reliance upon the Father, by faithfully trusting in God and God alone. You've not been left alone to fight against the 
the demonic powers in this world. Now, the evil is more than that, right? As we've said, Satan is the, the god of this world. And as far as the world is not submitting to Christ, it is the enemy of God, and it is the enemy of your soul. The world is not neutral. One of the biggest mistakes that you'll find in the church today is an assumption of the neutrality of anything that's not explicitly or obviously anti-Christ. And even sometimes things that are explicitly anti-Christ. But Jesus came to bring a sword, he says, not to bring peace, at least not right away. Friendship with God is enmity with the world. And so the political and cultural systems of this world, not to mention all false religions, are set up against Jesus Christ. And if you're united to Christ, then they're set up against you. Now that's not to uh, you know, give you some kind of you know, conspiratorial mindset where you think everybody is out to get you. Um, that's, that's not the point of that. Uh, but it is true that the world, in rebellion to Christ, will tend toward pulling you away from rather than pushing you toward God. It will pull you away from rather than push you toward faithfulness in life. So you have to be aware of it and watchful, as the Lord says. Watch and pray. Right? Not paranoid, not worried, but mindful and thoughtful and devoted to the things that God has set forth in his word. Of course, the difficulty with evil and your need of deliverance from it is that it's not just all out there. Right? It's not just the devil. It's not just, you know, out there in the world. At times, the hardest evil to recognize is the evil that you find in your own heart and in your own mind, in your own mouth, and in your own hands. But none are righteous, the scripture says. And it would do you no good to look out at the world around you and to blame everything on some other evil, right? There's evil in the world. There's evil in the devil. It's all out there. It's all someone else or something else. Right? It would do you no good to think purely in a, well, I'm, you know, I'm good and now you know, all those outside of me, they're the evil ones. You become partisan or tribalized. Right? Evil exists in them or it's the devil. It's people that came before us. Right? It's people that live somewhere else. You're always pointing outward and refusing to recognize the evil that you see in the world is actually right there in your heart as well. Even knowing Christ, you should recognize that there is part of you still in rebellion. That's why you have to be forgiven. It's why you have to confess and continually repent. I don't want you to hear this sort of a sermon and walk away thinking, okay, I see the message of the Bible is that you just have to be one of the good people as opposed to one of the bad people, right? Those people out there, right? That's not it at all, right? Deliverance from evil is not deliverance from 
just out there. It's deliverance from yourself. The problem is worse than you think. Right? You could go off all by yourself, go find a cabin in the middle of nowhere, leave behind Netflix and your smartphone. You could leave behind all the people, all of the, the situations that you see as causing you to sin. You can leave it all behind. And when you're there, what you'll find there is sin. It'll still be there. That's why Jesus teaches you to pray, to be delivered from evil, from all evil. You have a helper and an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God who is at work in you if you are in Christ. Right? And if you're not in Christ, if you say, I'm all alone in this sinful and corrupt world, all alone dealing with my problems, my mess, um, that the message of this prayer is that you actually don't have to be. There is a deliverer, a redeemer. And you won't be totally kept from temptation and evil in this life, but Jesus Christ will help you through it if you will take up your cross and follow after him, if you will pray. Sometimes when we talk about um, just the, the bald-faced reality of sin and the corrupt world, the reality of the devil and the demonic, it might tend to lead you to despair. Right? You just think, what can we possibly do then? Or if it's so much worse than we realize, what can we do? It might make you melancholy or downcast about the situation. Uh, but that's not where God wants you to be. That's not Christian maturity. Right? You might start in the wilderness, right? truly having to come face to face with your sin, with the devil, uh, because God wants you to leave all that behind. Right? His goal was, was never only to take the Israelites out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Right? He doesn't just want to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness. He wants to get the darkness out of you. So it might feel at times overwhelming or like some kind of a judgment to be faced with the reality of evil in and outside of you. It may feel that way, but what God wants for you is the promised land. What he wants is for you to know his glory and blessing, right? To know him and to have life by his name, life and light for all who believe. That's his desire. So don't be discouraged to hear about the reality of sin and evil and temptation in the world. Don't be downcast. Rather, like we said earlier, look up. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Yes, the devil's real, and he has power. But by the grace of Christ, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Yes, the systems of this world are set up against Christ and his kingdom. But Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. And behold, he has already overcome the world. Yes, your sin nature still clings on. 
you still have need of sanctification. But take heart, because in Christ you are already a new creation. And who even knows what glory you will be clothed in at his coming and at the renewal of all things. Jesus Christ, your deliverer, has called on you to watch and to pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Therefore, he's taught you to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask for your help, for your protection, that you would strengthen us and fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your spirit of wisdom, that we would increasingly become the kinds of people that are not tempted. And we pray that you would preserve us when we are brought into positions where we can be tempted. That you would teach us of the reality of sin, the reality of evil, that you would give us a love and a desire for your holiness, your goodness, your grace, rather than those things, even when they seem appealing. Lord, would you deliver us from evil? Protect us, we pray. All in your name. Amen.